Alrighty, we are going to pick up where we left off last week at uh, Galatians chapter 4, um, continuing our central theological, with our central theological text, Galatians 4, with an emphasis on verse number <coughs> 11, where Paul says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. That is not a Freudian slip for me. I don't feel like that's what we've done these last eight weeks. Not at all. Actually, it's been a lot of uh, discussion. What in the world were you saying there, Chris? <laughs> How do we fall here? What does that mean? What is that? And listen, listen, if you are wrestling with this, some of these things, look, look at this in the right light. This is good stuff that we as a church are wrestling. That should be the norm for us. The norm for a Christian is not, I got all this figured out, what, what are you saying? That is not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is he is God, I've got a long <laughs> way to go. Amen. You with me? That's the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is, I've got a lot to learn. It's not, okay, we had the lesson, let's go, go do what we've got to do. It's, oh my goodness, there's a door open there. Not, not the door is always right. Not everything the person, the teacher said was right. That's not, that's not always going to be the case either. We, we're, those of us who teach, we're human as well. But there are things to be learned, lots of things. There's something called sanctification. There's something called understanding. So we are on a trek, a journey. We are learning. We, have, we need to learn. So the wrestling, I love to think about what Jacob was doing there when he was wrestling. We need to be wrestling with the truth constantly. And we're leaky vessels. Right? You say, I thought I had that down. Yeah, you, you did, but you're a human. All right, now, I put the word law up here because, you know, a lot of questions about, well, what law, how does the law, what about the law, how do we apply the law? Um, after I was done with my outline, I began to think about how often the law, the word law itself is used. Not, un, not surprisingly, um, the word law is found 52 times in the book of Romans, more than any other book in the Bible. That is three times in every chapter on average. I actually thought the book of Psalms would beat it, but it didn't. Only 37 times in the book of Psalms. So that's only one time in every four chapters. The book of Galatians came in number three. And the book of Galatians is a relatively short book. Right? You wouldn't think it's going to take us three years to get through the book of Galatians, but apparently... Um, that's four times in every chapter. So when you look at density, the word law is in the book of Galatians or is more dense in the book of Galatians than any other book. So if there is some, like, what, 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 are, we, what, what do we mean by the law? Uh, yes, it is more dense in the book of Galatians than in any other book of the Bible. So let's ask this question. I'm, I'm asking it to you. It's not rhetorical. 
what do you hear when you hear me say law? What, what, are, what are you hearing? You're hearing Mosaic Law? Okay. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm not hearing you say that, that we have to, to, to take up the law in order to be saved. You're not, you're not saying that. You're not saying that. He said, you're, he's not hearing me say we have to take up the law in order to be saved or justified. Okay? I want you to even think application here, okay? Um, because that, that, that has come up in, in, in reference to the law, the you know, how is, you know, law is applied beyond uh, just uh, justification. What else? Because there have been questions, and so, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I had full law, uh, which is, is inclusive of the Mosaic law. Full law being the law of sin and death. Okay. In other words, law in general, yes. like the law of gravity even. Well, I'm just no. I'm yeah, saying sure. law of sin of death. Yeah. There's law of gravity. There's yeah. the law of Which is uh, I didn't do that kind of law. Yeah. You know, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> right? well, more of a more of a more still within the confines of biblical scripture scriptural law, um, which of course our civil law derives from that. So the same thing is that the derivative of the law. But the law itself, because it was the law of sin and death is what we're talking about. The Mosaic law, as you had mentioned uh, earlier, was this <coughs> special, specialized ruling structure for these, for particular people. Meaning the Mosaic economy. Exactly. Okay. So but that, beyond that, you're but hearing beyond that. Beyond that, it's still, the Mosaic law is still within, this is why I could not say this, still within or ruled by the law of sin and death. Cannot escape that, and so that's what I hear. So Roman, that's that's near the end of Romans seven. Yeah. Okay. All right. Somebody else. It's okay. We won't laugh at you, <laughs> sir. You, but Steve might. Well, you didn't laugh at Dwayne, so you probably won't. <laughs> Dwayne and I laugh a lot, so that's why that happens. It's terrible. He sits on the front row because he and I laugh a lot. Anybody else? Yes, sir. You just hear rules? Okay. Just rules? Rules in general? Somebody said bondage. Think of bondage. Okay. Anybody else? You went right to preschool. I like that. Just driving your home life, huh? We used to have a list on the fridge for our kids. Number one, do what daddy says. Number two, do what mom says. Number three, refer back to one and two, right? <laughs> Anybody else? Just in general, I think of lawyers. Like, I, I can't interpret half the laws that are on the books in the, in the country. I need a lawyer to help me yeah. navigate that. Yeah, no doubt. There's endless number of laws. They say you can indict a ham sandwich. There's so many of them, right? <laughs> so what we have been discussing in context, we've 
only been discussing in these lessons, we've only been discussing the law of Moses and the law of Christ. Those are the only two things we've been discussing. So when you hear other things, I just want you to understand that that's all we've been discussing. As a matter of fact, Moses is mentioned nowhere in the book of Galatians. At all. Paul will just say, the law. Okay? And he will say the law of Christ. But when he says the law, almost always the context is pointing to the law of Moses, meaning that covenant of Moses. Over 600 particular individual rules that Moses had in place, given to him by God. Of course, the law of Moses is generally speaking, well, completely speaking, is external, right? Right? Israel was a unregenerate people of God, right? The people of God today, we are regenerate. So the law of Christ is, generally speaking, there are, it is, there, is, there is a lot of codified law of Christ, if you will. We have the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Epistles. So we don't, that, that, that's why when, the, when the, the covenant of Moses has been uh, laid aside, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, it's, it's clearly laid out. We do have the Sermon on the Mount. We have all of the epistles. We don't want to, when we exalt the, the, the Mosaic covenant, what we are doing is we are, we are magnifying Moses over Jesus. Okay? Hebrews 3.3 3 tells us we have something greater. We have Jesus is greater than Moses. Right? That's why we claim to be new covenant. Okay? Because we don't want to. If you exalt Moses, you are dethroning who? Christ. Right. That's why we don't do that. Okay? So the law of Christ, uh, generally speaking, is internal. Okay? That is, the Spirit of God has come, and the law is written on our hearts. Now, it is codified. We're given John chapter, well, Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, special times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Okay? John chapter 16, Jesus said, I'll send the Spirit, and he will bring to your remembrance... Everything that I have spoken, hence we have the epistles. Okay? Well, we don't want to elevate this old covenant. By doing that, we are demoting these epistles and the gospels. Okay? It's all written out there for us plainly. Okay? So that we might have the law of Christ. We have the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to, if you want to have it. If you want to say, well, I need, I need something, we talk about handlebars, I need stuff written down, <laughs> I need a little more, I need something a little more solidified, go to 1 John, John will make it clear for you about love, if you don't have that love for your brother and for your God, then you're missing it on the inside, alright, and also let, let me give you another little part here, look at Galatians 5, and verse number 13. And I think Alan helped uh, spoke last week about motives. Remember, they were given over 600, a list of over 600 commands in the Old Covenant that were obeyed out of fear. Okay? We obey out of love. 
Look what he says in Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom. Someone mentioned bondage. We're free from the bondage, right? As Galatians, we were under the bondage of sin. Jews were under the bondage of the old covenant. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, he'll restate something. It's similar here in chapter 6. Look at verse number 2. Bear one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, we're not given these strict handlebars. Okay? All righty. Let me give you one little more tidbit on that. How and when do I apply the law of Christ? I want to govern myself by the law of Christ. That is according to the laws of Jesus and his apostles. Am I a husband or a parent? Same thing. I want to govern myself that way. Am I a business owner? Any area of authority, I want to apply the law of Christ. Okay? Do you understand? If I'm running for office, I'm running away from office, to be quite honest with you. Am I, am I in office? I want to vote that way. We, we just voted. I want, I, I look, I want people in office who vote according to the law of Christ. Okay? That's the way I want them to vote. All right, so you understand what we mean by law? Do we all understand now what we're talking about law? So most of the time Paul is talking... When he, says, when he just says law, he's referring to the Mosaic Covenant. All right, now, uh, the, let's talk about the Jewish Christian problem. The Jewish Christian problem. Uh, let's talk about what made it so hard for Jewish Christians. Stay with me if you would. Let me give you a little understanding of where I'm going. Let's talk about what made it so hard for Jewish Christians to accept Christ alone was enough to be converted. Now, we're talking about Jewish Christians here. Not just that he was the Savior, but that he was the answer to all things that the law and the prophets spoke about. What mindset or thought process was Paul actually up against? To, you, to us, it seems simple, right? Yet Paul is having to plow deeply into their past in order for them to understand the present. Now, I believe that by understanding the Jewish traditions and presuppositions, we might not only better, stay with me, we might not only better understand Paul's language and methods, but this is what's so important here, we might also become aware of some of our own inaccurate views of the new covenant. So I want you to do something with me. I want you to take a trip back with me to the first century when Jews... And God-fearing Gentiles worship in synagogues together. Are you aware of that? Jews and God-fearing Gentiles worship in synagogues together. This is how Paul began to reach people in the Roman Empire. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through uh, Acts chapter 13, a few verses, kind of skim it. If you want to look there, you're welcome to, but I'm going to be skimming, so you'll have to stay up with me. In Acts chapter 13, we'll look at a typical evangelistic 
approach that Paul had in the town here, as he's as he's at a synagogue. And if you look at Acts chapter 13, verse 26, here's what we read. Brothers, they ask him, you know, do y'all have something to say? And he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, these are Gentiles, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So now he's saying, hey, you, you brothers, you sons of Abraham, you, you fellow Jews, and you, those of you who fear God. These are Gentiles that are with them. Verse 28. And though they found in him, speaking of Jesus, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. So he's not pulling any punches. We all know how Paul is. You guys, our, our fellow Jewish um, uh, family killed Jesus. Verse, thir- uh, verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Okay, so he preaches the resurrection. Then he goes and quotes Psalm 2, Isaiah 55, Psalm 16, down in verse number 39. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So Paul again lets the cat out of the bag. You're freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Okay? Then he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. Again, Paul was, a, was clearly an Old, Old Testament scholar. Jump down to verse 43. He says, and it's, or the, Luke writes, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism... These are Gentiles. Follow Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to, uh, urged them to continue in the grace of God. All right, so these are believers now. Paul does what he always does. He said, now, I want you to continue in the grace of God. Verse 45, here's the normal happenings. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. Now, let's try to let's try to uh, gather some things. If you'll if you'll stay with me and let me uh, let, let us walk through this. We know why the Jews got mad, right? Do we know why the Jews got mad? They were jealous. And Paul did Paul and Barnabas did what Paul always did. He split their synagogue. Right? If someone came in here and we had share time and Steve said, what would you like to share? And they got up and they split it wide open and half the crowd walked out and followed them. What would we, how would we feel about it? Right? Paul, everywhere Paul went, he split a synagogue wide open. Okay? So we know why the Jews, the unbelieving Jews got mad. But why did the Judaizers, follow me, why did the Christian Jews so often get angry with Paul? We're talking about Christian Jews who accepted the fact that Jesus actually is the Messiah. Why did they so often get mad? Destroyed their traditions. Destroyed their traditions. You guys are, you know, when 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 um, uh, one of the one of the uh, lawyers said to Jesus, uh, "The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, and soul, and to love your neighbors yourself." Jesus said to them, "You are almost to the kingdom of God." <laughs> you guys are right there. Destroyed their tradition, but what tradition exactly? 
The difference is new covenant conversion versus old covenant conversion. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But I want you to think about this for a second. As we delve into that, new covenant conversion versus old covenant conversion. Remember, these are Gentiles that we just spoke about who were God-fearing people. But Paul is not going to leave well enough alone. In Jerusalem, they left well enough alone. Paul does not do that, particularly when he's delving into the Galatian, the book of the Galatians. So let's just kind of back up just a little bit more, and then we'll look at this conversion process. Who first understood Gentile conversion? Do you remember? Peter did. You remember? Where was he when this started being unveiled to him? On a roof where? In Joppa. He had a vision, right? A strange vision. I wouldn't have interpreted that, in, that vision that way. I mean, I'm laying there, and God says, Chris, go eat a Big Mac. Guess what I would do? I'd get up and go, yeah, God, that's a great idea. Can we supersize it? All right, let's think of another guy who had problem, a problem with it, but clearly went on this mission journey with Paul. Who was it that first carried Paul to the apostles when Paul made his first trip to Jerusalem? Barnabas. Who was it that went and got Paul from Cilicia and said, hey, you could help us in this predominantly Gentile church in Antioch? That was Barnabas. So these two men know better Yet these two men struggle on and off with Gentile conversion. Now, if these two men struggle with Gentile conversion, how important is it then for us, you and I, this body, to continually work through the New Testament epistles and continually resolve our underlying presuppositions? Are you following me? If these two guys, look, Peter had a vision, saw God work mighty miracles, and still struggled with it. How is it you and I think we've got it all figured out? This is a continual plowing and plotting and wrestling that must happen in our life. Look, you've seen people get paper towels. Look at me. I'm better looking than him anyway. Have you seen his scraggly beard? Look up here. Consider, if Peter, Peter walked by and his shadow was healing people. Huh? My goodness, and he struggled with it. So let's look for a minute at Jewish uh, conversion, shall we? Jewish conversion. Jewish conversion. You can that a Gentile becoming a Jew You'll find out. I'm in charge right now, Jack. Alright. You always tell me I am. Alright. So, as you said, Steve, you're right. A Gentile. I even spelled it right. Hallelujah. Alright. What, what are the Gentiles? The Gentile believed... Okay, so Gentiles, they were polytheists, right? You got all these gods up here. Now, all of a sudden, they, the Jews are everywhere, and they believe... Like they're going to believe like the Jews. How many gods? How many gods are there now? One. One God. Okay. Monotheism. So the first thing they got to do is they got to get baptized. 
Alright? Are they done? No. Nah, you want to become a full-blooded Jew. If you're a man, guess what you got to do? I'm a real man. Alright? Are you done? Nope. Nope. You got to do some more things. What else you got to do? You got to keep how much of the law? Every bit of it. Every bit of it. And there's some other things involved in the law. You got to change your what? You weigh 244 pounds, Chris Brown. You're going to have to start eating right. And then you get all that done and all the traditions, and now you can be finally, I, know I said full-blooded Jew, but you know what I mean by that. And so everything is running in this direction. Now that's what they believe. So now put in the context of what Paul is dealing with in Galatia. You with me? This is what Paul is dealing with. So we're talking about Christ, Jewish Christians who are showing up and saying, all Paul did is show up and tell you about Jesus, put your faith in Christ, and he stopped right there. You've not truly been converted yet. You've got a lot more to do before you can become one of us. Is that making sense to you? So that's what they were expecting. Again, Peter was used to reveal New Covenant conversion. And there he is, he's laying on a, a rooftop, he's falling asleep, he has this vision. So now you can see why when God gives him a vision, he says, arise and eat. And what does he say? Not so, I ain't eating that. No way, Jose. Now if God said, gave me a vision and said, arise and eat coleslaw, I don't want to do that. A lot of coleslaw lovers in here, y'all like coleslaw? I know, I can tell why you weren't excited about that illustration. <laughs> So what God is saying to Peter is, stop waiting for the Gentiles to come this way. It's time for you to start going this way. See? Remember, the Jews were trying to get the Gentiles to come to Israel. But what was the last word that Jesus told his Jewish apostles? To get the nations to come to Israel? To do what? To go to the nations. The Jews were they were a little were they a little bit uppity? Huh? They were a little bit stuck on themselves. And so this is why Peter kept uh, Peter kept struggling with it. And finally Peter said, Man, I'm gonna go this way. Let's see if we got the text here we can look at. Uh, listen to listen to Peter. Um, listen to what Peter says here in Acts 15 8 when he's describing what happened. You remember the conference in Jerusalem? Uh, he has a, there's a conference in Jerusalem where it comes up yet again, yet another time. And here's what he says. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit as he did to us. So Peter shows up. Preaches to these God-fearing Gentiles. They've probably been bad. They've already been baptized. Probably that's where the, the baptism of John comes in, Old Testament baptism. And he sees God give them the Spirit, and Peter says, Uh-oh, I think these folks are already saved. They've already been saved. They've already been converted. Uh-oh, they don't have to be circumcised. Uh-oh, they don't have to keep the law. Uh-oh, they don't have to change their diet. All they've got to do is put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they now 
full-blown converted children of the king. Can I get an amen? amen? And so that's what they were struggling with. So what we have now then is we have Jews and Gentiles. If they want to be converted, let's see how I wrote this down. All they have to do now is receive the Spirit. That's why, if you look back in Galatians chapter 3, Paul appeals to them. Verse 2. Galatians 3, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you see that? So this is what they are tripping over. They are tripping over the idea of conversion. Now it goes much deeper and we'll look at that. But I want you to look at notice some other differences also. The main difference is the reception of the Holy Spirit. You remember last week we talked about you had the advent of the Son. What does advent mean? The coming of the Son. And after the resurrection, there was the advent of the the advent of the Spirit. So now, once a Jew or Gentile gets saved, the proof of their salvation is the reception of the Spirit. Now, it's not the gifts of the Spirit, because all of us have different gifts. Amen? Amen. But they recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when Peter said to those who were criticizing him in Acts chapter 11 and in Acts chapter 15 when they were criticizing Paul and Barnabas, he said they received the Holy Spirit like they did at the beginning. How could I not eat with them? How could I not baptize them? How could I not accept them? Because God Almighty confirmed them. There's some other things, there's some other differences. You have to remember also, in the economy of Moses, you had lost Jews working to convert lost Gentiles to Judaism. Have you ever thought about that? Lost Jews. People over here trying to convert these Gentiles. Lost Jews converting lost Gentiles to Judaism. That's huge. This is the way these people are thinking. Remember, the people of God in the Old Covenant were by and large unregenerate. Because this was an external law. You've got to remember that. That's huge. Another thing to remember about this conversion process, and we, we alluded to it, is that this conversion was national. (laughs) National. National. 
this conversion, how would we alliterate it and say it? Oh, that's pretty good. Spiritual. And then we already said this. The Jews wanted to bring the nations under Israel. Paul, of course, was carrying the gospel to the nations. Questions? That's a big insight. If you go back to see what they were dealing with. You can also see, I'll come to you real quick. You can also see how Paul, what Paul was dealing with. Paul, when Paul was reaching Gentiles, he was reaching people, by and large, who had come this far. They had come to a monotheistic view. They were God-fearing people. Okay? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Under the old covenant obedience, the advantage was weighed completely against the people of God. All that was set, this is in my extra notes here, in case it came up. All that was set before them was a blessing or curse. That's all they had. Fear was the great motivator, and being unregenerate, regenerate, being unregenerate meant their depravity, that is their fallen nature in Adam, Ruled the day. Well, that 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 was the that was the that was the economy that they lived under. We don't live under that. Hallelujah. What we live under, the advantage is weighed completely toward the believer serving God. The scales are totally shifted. It's like a parent dealing with a child in a store. The parent where the child keeps wanting to wander off. Anybody, one of your little kids ever did that? Finally, you're like, go ahead. I never liked you anyway. You were, you're a second child. I was a second child. The parent might allow the child to think he's wandered off and gotten lost to the point of panicking. You ever done that? While all along, what are you doing? You're watching the child from a distance, never once allowing the child to leave your sight or nearing any true harm. And once the child understands this love and care is for their own good, what does the child do? Ultimately, the child responds in obeying and serving the parent in faith and love. Listen, as a child of God, God will withdraw, but he never loses sight. And he might let you panic. And he'll discipline you. But, the, but it's always weighed in the advantage of serving God. God never stops chasing His children. Right? It is... Uh, you folks that have teenagers at home and you have young kids at home, are you really going to let them get away with some crazy stuff? You will beat the devil out of them. If you have to, you would. I'm not saying you do or you have to. I'm just saying you are going to do everything you can for that because you love them more than they'll ever imagine until they have their own. You think you love those kids more than God loves you? Ain't happening, Jack. All right. So, why then, if you and I can see this, if Peter can see this, saw it, 
up close, personal, revelation from God. If Barnabas can see this, why is it so difficult for them to understand it? Because of their theology. Jewish theology. You remember a guy named, uh, what was his name? I don't know if we talked about him yet. Let's see. Did I bore you, Steve? <laughs> he breathed heavily. He, he breathed it heavily over there. You remember a guy named Abraham? We haven't talked about him, have we? This is a guy, an old guy named Abe. Let's see, I got, I drew a picture of my paper here so I can remember. Okay, Abe Moses. We know Moses, right? You know a guy named Moses? Moses. And we've driven a, we've drawn a cross. Let's see, we'll put our line here. Here we go. I I got it all right, right here. Who was the other guy that came after all that? Who was his name? Jesus. Jesus, there we go. Make sure I didn't forget him. Okay, and then what, what do we write? We write today over here, don't we? So, in Jewish theology, these guys that Paul was dealing with, what they saw, and what Paul was dealing with, is they saw the covenant like this. Okay? And we'll just put an end to it. Of course, there's no end right now, but they saw it like that. So they saw the covenant of Moses. Matter of fact, in Jewish, um, I guess you call it Jewish tradition. Let's see if I wrote it down. Yeah, Jewish tradition. In their tradition, they say that Abraham kept the law. What does Paul tell us? This is why he tells us. What does Paul tell us in the book of Galatians? We are justified by faith, but do you remember? Yeah, he says before the law. He actually even put some hard numbers in there. Do you remember? 430 years. He even says, 430 years before, right? He even says it. Why? Because their tradition says that Abraham kept the law. That's Jewish tradition. So what their theology says is that um, that there's one covenant. Okay? And so that's why when you look at their thoughts about conversion, that's why they still went along with and struggled with the Jewish uh, the Christian Judaizers, the Jewish Christians at Jerusalem, that's why they struggled with this whole thing. And that's why in Galatians, Paul is saying, no. It's, go to, go to um, Hebrews chapter 8. The last verse there is verse 13. Paul is fighting such an uphill battle. And again, for us Gentiles living 2,000 years later, you're almost struggling to understand the issues. Hebrews 8, verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one what? Obsolete. Now that's pretty doggone clear. And what is, become, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. Now remember, when Hebrews was written, it was pre 70, nope, almost did it wrong, Steve. It's pre-AD 70. It's not 70 AD, it's AD 70. All right, it's pre-70 AD. So when he says it's almost, he uses the word almost, I already turned away from it. But it's becoming obsolete, or whatever the case may be. Because everything's going to come to an end here. And I don't know what I'm drawing there. I just wanted you to recognize that was 70 AD. All right? 
And so the book of Hebrews is written somewhere in here, like 65 or whatever. The point is, everything, the whole temple and everything is going to uh, come down. So what their belief system was is that this was all one covenant, and now Jesus, being the Messiah, has become the main deal. He's become the big shot. But that's why Jesus has some amazing artwork there, isn't it? <laughs> all right. So that's why Hebrews is saying, no, forget Moses now, we've got Jesus. But for the Jews, it's, no, we've got Moses and Jesus. No, we've got Abraham and Jesus. No, we can still use the Old Testament temple and all of that. Okay, so far so good? But what we're told now, because of Paul's theology, this is what, so what they would say, let me add one more thing to this. So they would say, we have one covenant, we'll write it up here. We have one covenant and two administrators. Alright? Who was the administrator before the cross? Moses was the administrator before the cross. And somehow, some way, even Abraham kept that law four and thirty years before. Now who's the administrator? Okay, that's the Jewish theology of it. The Jewish Christian theology of it that Paul was battling against. That's why they struggled with Jew, they struggled with New Covenant conversion. Okay, for you and I, we just go, nope, wipe it out. Nope, you're saved by grace through faith. Boom, the Holy Spirit's moved inside of you. Boom, all that's over. Well, you could. That's what you ever you ever tried to debate someone who is uh, uh, very strong in their beliefs. Uh, uh, that, that, that weren't Christian, New Testament Christians, and you just can't get anywhere, it's because they're not shallow. They have some deep-seated theological beliefs that you've got to get to. And that's what Paul is trying to get to in the book of Galatians. Now, what we understand is Paul's theology was no. There are how many covenants? Two covenants. Okay, there you go. Two covenants. And we can go back, and we, we've done this many times. Abe was not a part of it. Moses was over this one. Jesus shows up. What's the deal with this covenant? <laughs> Moses. That's what I called him. You know, tight. All right. Moses. All right. What's the deal with this covenant now? It's obsolete. All right, now we all have a high view of Scripture, so we can we, we, we read the, uh, the, the the Mosaic Covenant, we learn from it, and of course you read the epistles, so do the uh, epistles uh, and the apostles. And we just read, I have it printed here, Hebrews 8.13. Now, and we said earlier, the law of Christ is codified in the New Testament, and by failing to recognize this, we elevate Moses over uh, Jesus. All right, real quickly, let me just give you these two, three thoughts, and I won't expound upon them. Uh, some things should be obvious. Number one, the Mosaic economy was temporary and was scheduled to end once Christ came. Okay, so there you go. There you go. All right, the second thing is the Old Covenant is inferior to the New. Okay? That should be obvious. And third of all, the New Covenant is better. And I have a couple, bunch of things written down why that's the case, but those should be obvious to us. Anybody else have any questions, or thoughts, or comments? You want to? That was the only thing that people wanted to 
Oh, that's very interesting. Did you all hear what he said? I don't want to cut you off, but do you mind if I repeat that, or do you want to say more? Uh, his, he was referring to, um, amongst the Jews, some were only uh, Torah central, uh, meaning the, the Pentateuch, right? Yeah. The first five books of the... Yeah, they only believe the first five books, and therefore Jeremiah being considered just an allegory and would not have ascribed to uh, what Jeremiah had said. So that's an interesting thought. Somebody else, I saw a hand. Oh, I was going to say, I think part of it is that they just have so much invested in the law. Yeah. It would be like, you know, if, if somebody came to you today and you're, you know, you have your 401k and it's worth a million dollars, and then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, yours is worthless and everybody's is worth a million now. Ah. You know? I, I mean, that's, hard, that's a hard thing. I, I had a buddy that uh, wrote several books on uh, easy believers. And I tried to, and he would not buy into um, uh, total depravity. And I said, buddy, I mean, e even when you and I were a part of this whole legalistic group that we were part of, and easy believism, I always bought into total depravity because I had too many mirrors at home. It was obvious that I'm totally depraved, and he would not bend. And it, it became obvious to me that he was so invested in these books he'd been traveling promoting and I'm not saying that was the sole reason, but there is an investment part. I think, Jeff, is that you, sir? Yeah, I think, um, clarify for me, I'm sorry, you made it clear in the teaching that the covenant made with Abraham was not part of the law of Moses. The law of Moses came second, right? Yes, sir. But there was a covenant made with Abraham, I'll bless you through your seed, and it says he believed and was credited to his righteousness. How... I'm struggling with this, but I understand, and, and Jeremiah 31, just quoted, was clearly talking about the covenant made with the Israelites when they left Egypt. So it's clearly talking about the covenant with Moses, but what about the covenant with Abraham? How does that fall into all of this obsoleteness? This is not obsolete. <laughs> the new covenant is a fulfillment of that. We are the sons of Abraham. Okay. There's a great verse. Turn, turn real quick. What time? Turn to Romans 3. Romans 3. So God, God is unjust. Take this. Don't, don't do God is unjust if he forgives Old Testament saints just for forgiving them. So in... In, in uh, crucifying Christ, in sacrificing Christ as our propitiation, he is justifying not only us sinners, but he's also justifying himself because he's letting unholy people go unpunished for their sins. Remember, Christ has not been penalized. So go to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God put forward, we're talking about Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here it is. This was to show God's, God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, God is putting up with the sins of people in the Old Testament. He had passed over former sins. This is before the sacrifice. It was to show His righteousness at the present time. So that he, this is God now, 
so that he might be just. God has to prove that he is a just God by putting up with the wickedness of David. You follow me there? So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God was uh, being patient and forbearing the sins of, the, of, of Old Testament saints for 4,000 years. And so that would include all these people back here. Moses, Abe, David, and any other Old Testament things we, we consider. So th those people sins, so those people sinned on credit, if you will. Okay? I, I know I'm a little off the beaten path from what you're exactly saying. But, um, but anyway, those verses show how that God was able to forbear their sin. Because the, 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 the sacrifices never did pay for their sin. Okay, so Abe, that's why Paul keeps pointing to the fact that we are under this covenant. This is a sneak peek of this. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. So the covenant that Abraham did is the new covenant fulfilled in Christ. Yes, so this covenant can reaches back, but it is not here. This is not that covenant. There are two covenants in respect to that. Very separate, very different. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.